Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Noise. The legacy of Donald Trump is a bizarre one, not because he was an incompetent president, but because the media has played a major role in undermining his presidency. This and more than ever, a politician who was not meant to be a politician took on the role. Unconventional, you can call it that. But that was a shakeup. Washington didn't like it. To have someone who didn't follow the rules or take the steps that operated Washington's political system for so long. The swamp, so to speak. And you really can't view Trump's achievement from a traditional perspective. Because, let's face it, the presidency was an extreme anomaly. Now, if you search on Google right now about the legacy of Trump, what you will find is most likely not his achievement, but all about his attempt to destroy the country. To the left, Trump did nothing right. But to a lot of our everyday American people, Trump really did change the way for everything. With this episode, there's going to be a lot of achievements. We don't have the time to cover all of them. If you really want to find out all of what he did, there are a lot of great books out there. I won't have time to cover everything, so I'm selecting the issues that I think are important to myself and to the current news of the day. And if I skip on some aspects, I apologize. These are what I think are his biggest achievements so far. And there's one thing I am scared of. In 10 years, what would the public remember Trump as? With all this media propaganda going on, a man who was called a liar all the time, a racist, a white supremacist. How will the world remember him? Let's begin. The first being Donald J. Trump himself. I mean, he didn't smile his way into Washington. You might wonder why everybody on both aisles hated him initially. Eventually, one side, the GOP loved him, embraced him, while the other side became increasingly in opposition to the point of demonizing his actions as inhumane, fascist, or dictatorial. Words on the street is that he wanted to drain the swamp, and apparently that meant destabilizing the century-old methods of Washington. I think Trump's legacy can be easily summarized with just one word, awakening. I think Americans have been numb to the politics that goes on in Washington for too long, and it is also distant to them. It's not necessarily impactful to their own lives. We humans are selfish beings. Sometimes we neglect what's going on in Washington. Maybe we also lacked long-term memories. The only thing reminding us of the bad, bad politics of the past administration seems to only be what occurred yesterday. One of the biggest achievements, in my opinion, is Donald J. Trump put the message of America first as the core domestic principle. In doing so, this extended from the northern borders with Canada to the southern borders with Mexico from the domestic economic policies to the foreign trade agreements, from America-made jobs to American energy sectors. As Mike Pompeo describes, when America is first, that policy drives the fundamental piece in the approach with other countries. But what exactly is America first? Make America Great Again was not just a message, it's actually the ideal of bringing working class people together to a to a unified understanding of what it means to be American. Representative Jim Banks wrote a lengthy memo to House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy on March 30th, 
outlining Trump's policies that the GOP should embrace in the future. In this memo, the first key point is Trump's target of the working-class Americans. Trump's core supporters consisted of average people, people by the millions who are working, paying taxes, paying bills, but finding themselves getting increasingly screwed over on high tax brackets, not enough money, not enough opportunities to afford to live. From Representative Banks, the memo reads, quote, certain occupations overwhelmingly supported President Trump in 2020. Of those who donated to a presidential campaign, 79% of mechanics donated to Trump and only 21% gave to Biden. 60% of all small business owners donated to Trump and 40% donated to Biden. And 59% of custodians donated to Trump while 41% gave to Biden. Meanwhile, compare these numbers, 94% of college professors donated to Biden, while 6% donated to Trump. 86% of marketing professionals donated to Biden, and 14% donated to Trump. And 73% of bankers donated to Biden, while only 27% donated to Trump. We see a clear distinction as who the voter base supports. But the policies he enacted come from a perspective of the people. We the people enjoy when America is placed first. When the left claims Trump is for the corporate giants, it's just simply not true. Trump was a loyal person, and he was as loyal to his people as his people were to him. Trump, through his tax cut, lowered the rates of individual income taxes. But having individual tax cuts alone doesn't help. He was creating American jobs inside the U.S. Corporate tax cuts were the first step to do that. And when you have more tax, before Trump's plan, the U.S. stood at the top of a statutory rate of 39.1%, highest of the world, higher than Japan and a slew of developed countries. This is bad for a high-GDP country like the U.S. It drives small businesses out of income to expand, to hire more workers. It drives larger manufacturers and companies to outsource to other countries, which means jobs are not available for Americans. After the 2017 tax cut, the unemployment rate dropped to as low as 3.5% in February of 2020, just a month before the CCP virus would turn the country to chaos, quickly shifting the unemployment rate to a high of 14.8%, to which President Trump then was able to quickly bring it back down to around 6.3% before leaving office. Had the president had another term, we can expect the numbers to return to even lower levels than 3.5. A lot of Trump's 2016 win was riding off of the bad policies of later-term Barack Obama, including Obamacare, which cost way too much for the average Americans. But Obama also sacrificed his congressional Democrats in order to win the presidential race of 2012. And this was also during a time when the GOP was divided, scattered for leadership. Everyone looked incompetent, not because they were, but because they looked incompetent. People were tired of career politicians running the show. And also, you've noticed now when Trump endorses somebody, that person is most likely going to win the seat. Based on this, the Federalist says this about Obama's indirect aid to Trump's 2016 win. Quote, President Obama came into office at a moment of financial crisis, and he promised that government stimulus would get the economy moving again. But the stimulus never really stimulated, and the economy has just 
dragged along in the slowest and most lackluster recovery in memory. Also, President Obama made it a centerpiece of his foreign policy to cast suspicion on American intervention overseas without actually ending or withdrawing from any of our wars, which Trump did. He created peace in the Middle East. He also created peace in North Korea. He expressed skepticism about, quote, what's called American exceptionalism and projected a view of America as just one nation among others, with nothing that makes us important or indispensable. And this is where Trump grabbed his voters and his chance, inducing this idea of unifying the country behind all Americans. This message that everybody can get behind is the idea to make Americans once stand again as the top, as the leader of the world. And this was the mindset shift in the American people in 2016. From Obama's average approach to you're just a citizen of an average country, to Trump's patriotic exceptionalism of saying you are a great American. Think about the difference, how that makes average Americans feel. And we can see one that was perceived better than the other. But this wasn't without issues, of course. Trump, while gaining supporters, he also created a lot of enemies. He made it a mission to fight the media giants, the fake news. The, the establishments hated him. The top elites hated him. The tech companies did too. And the CCP, one of his biggest enemy. With his carefree attitude on telling how things are, no filter and no lies, this was not an easy thing to get used to for the, for the Washington politicians. But this idea was an awakening to the average American people. Because for so long, it seems the politicians were running the show while the people were slaving over them. It was to get people to wake up to the reality. The idea that you can't run a country with sweet talks and great smiles. You run a country with real actions. We can definitely say at this point, the GOP is unified under Trump. We can call it Trumpism or Trump's mental image of what the country real, really is. But the idea is that now everybody knows Trump is the future of the GOP. And the Democrats became a clear opposition to the American first principle. And unfortunately, I think due to the extreme hate against Trump, the Democrats had chosen to embrace radical ideologies and progressive policies, despite many in the party are still moderate and good people who care about this country. But this is not our focus of this episode. Jim Banks mentioned that in order to rally the voters to vote for the GOP in the future, Trump's policies should be embraced and expanded upon. We know that nobody's policies are perfect, so this is again moving to a better direction. We can tell the biggest distinction of how well Trump managed America is actually through his approach to the border policies. President Trump immediately enacted strict border control upon his presidency, including constructing walls to protect the border states. And it turns out the walls that Democrats criticize so much do work. And I mean, why else would they have the D.C. area fenced all up, still to this day? As well, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement ICE in their 2020 data alone had this. In fiscal year 2020, ICEERO conducted 100,000 administrative arrests. 90% of those arrested had criminal convictions or pending criminal charges at the time of the arrests. They also issued 122,000 detainers and conducted 185,000 removals during that fiscal year. 
And this is with a strong border policy. Now imagine what would happen to those numbers if illegal immigration is encouraged. Texas Attorney General Kim Paxton says it costs around $850 million annually to just support illegal immigrants. All that comes from the taxpayer money. It is estimated that more than 1 million illegal immigrants are expected to arrive in the U.S.-Mexico border in 2021 alone, as the White House grapples with how to find facilities and process them. Along with these, Trump's core message was always two. One is law and order, and the other is the Constitution should always be interpreted as written. And this was also Trump's shortcomings. He loves the country so much, and he really respects the Constitution. He will never give up on it. We saw this in full display in the 2020 election. The As much emotion as hope as we had, up until the last day, he never gave up on the on pretty much following law and order. Thus, many ways in which he was able to achieve and retain his seat as the president passed on. Days went by without actually changing his direction. This was all because he respected the law and the ways the country was supposed to run. However, we did see a different Trump, though, in the later days of 2020 than before that. Trump seems to have lost a little bit of his decisiveness as a policymaker, as this, as a decision maker, than he would be in his first days of his presidency. Maybe he was tired. Imagine being in his shoe, constant mental torture by the left and the media. Any man would have failed faster than him. And that's a guarantee. But what we can say is that, was it all Trump's fault that he failed to secure a second term? I think maybe it was more important that he helped us realize the election could have been rigged from a long time ago, not just this election or the last one, and that this whole time a republic could also be doing something like this. He embraced the need for police officers at work as well, the need to maintain social stability, but also he had a vision of restoring the ideal of American that was envisioned by the Founding Fathers. The idea the American Constitution shouldn't be a living document, but rather something that's based on the visions of the Founding Father. So the attempts to interpret the Constitution for whatever their agenda was should never be the case. And it's the founding principles guided the country. And this and the return to a tradition as well. The embrace of American heritage and values. A lot of the executive orders which Biden has now reversed, such as increasing the classical structure of the government buildings, I personally think the revival of traditional American values of family, religion, freedom of speech, and patriotism are the biggest achievement of President Trump. And that and also the attempt to drain the swamp. Let's talk about that a little bit. The Washington swamp was so deep, it sunk him right into the depth of brutality on the first day. First, his national security advisor, retired General Michael Flynn, first of all, and then it was Steve Bannon, and then Roger Stone, and Paul Manafort, a lot of people. It was not an expected enemy that Trump had, but hindered him a lot for the first two years. And then this Russiagate thing still happening today, where is Durham, and where is Belbar, where was Belbar when you needed him? the Supreme Court justices, all of this, and the impeachment hoax. We can talk about these all day. They're not important to his achievements, but they're necessary to validate 
the steps that he had to go through to get things done. Each step, there were hindrance and there were severe resistance to his attempt to change the country. Who is at work? And who? what agenda is being played here? That's why I think to judge Trump's domestic policies, we really have no way to tell how much of it was him trying but failing, not because of his failure, but because of meeting resistance. How much resistance, we don't know, because we don't know who are his hidden enemies behind the scenes. Up until his last day in office, we may have never gotten a clear picture of what went on behind the scenes of the last four years. Up until when he left for Florida, we had no idea. Now let's talk about with our foreign policies. When it comes to confronting the CCP, I think everybody at this point realizes it's the US's number one enemy. For many years though, no matter who the president was, the US did not ever consider the CCP as a global threat or the direct enemy of the United States. In fact, it has always treated the CCP as a competitor. America has actually done a lot to help the growth of the CCP. One of them being, for example, beginning with during the Chinese leader Deng Xiaoping's era, because of the US's defeat in Vietnam, Deng Xiaoping actually did a favor to the US by punishing the Vietnamese government. So to return this favor, the US government provided a lot of support. For the longest time, the US was fighting this idea of communism that they can see the visible one, which is communism in Soviet Union. But in the process, they were giving aids to China, they were giving support to China, helping them develop technologies, trades, all of that. In that process, they neglected the growth of the Chinese communism. During the last 40 years, China has been able to deeply infiltrate the US and then grow. When President Donald Trump came into office, when he campaigned in 2016, he didn't actually do it on a promise to confront the global spread of the communist China. And this new version of communism, which nobody has ever seen before. However, he quickly realized that in order to work with the CCP, it could not be from an aspect of competition, but rather it had to be an American first principle. And it had to be freedom first. So the result is the Chinese communist adversary we have today and its attempt at a global ambition being revealed. Otherwise, this was all cloaked under the disguise of friendliness or what's so-called developing China. And this was sparked much by the feeling of the United States needing to provide, like I mentioned, support for China for so long. The United States has used appeasements and aiding efforts to help develop China, thinking that China was going to be an ally. So this mindset was, again, deeply rooted in the traditional American politics when it comes to the foreign diplomatic relationships, especially with China. And in fact, for a very long time, America last consisted of placing China's values and growth over the American domestic growth. And we can see the shift in Trump's re-election campaign in 2019 and 2020, where the focus sort of shifted from the MAGA movement towards preventing the spread of communism and socialism. The message includes communism versus freedom as one of the key themes, as well as especially after the disaster caused by the CCP virus, Trump has once again made more realization that he cannot work with the CCP from a competitive perspective. During his administration, he has seen much of the Chinese leadership and its evil ambition to dominate globally. His actions stopping these attempts, one of them 
being stealing trade secrets from U.S. university institutions and technological research centers. But it also, much of it included targeting the human rights abuses put on by the CCP. For example, against Tibetans and Uyghurs, Falun Gong practitioners, with the State Department to serve as the forefront fighter against the CCP's brutality. And I think Donald Trump realized the idea and spirit of a free country, such as the United States, could not coexist with a communist idea. While communism entirely abolishes private property and free enterprise, the United States, especially under Trump, tries to do the opposite by giving things back to the people, giving the autonomy back to the people of this country. The president proved to be a stalwart defender of tradition, which is something that communist China does not preserve. The CCP destroys tradition and culture, and it actually aims to eliminate all aspects of truth and values, especially virtue. So from an ideological perspective, America's founding principles could not align with the principles of the CCP. At every step, we see that he respected the boundaries of the Constitution, and thus he could not respect what the CCP was doing to its own people on a global scale and domestic with its expansions. For the Trump administration, though, Taiwan serves as a key role as the first defense against a global communist takeover by China. It was placed on higher importance than ever before. Sometimes, Trump displayed his friendliness with Xi Jinping. In reality, itself recognizes that the CCP stands as the opposite side of the U.S. Since the pandemic began, we've noticed Trump's shift in position of how he views the Chinese leader and its policies. As Trump values America first, he could no longer go on to have a friendly relationship with China. This was put off for display by his trade war with China, which is a new form of Cold War in 2020. And then, with superior domestic production, economic policies, and a strong military, with the industry's leading technology to back the American spirit, guided by the trade war, this new form of combating the CCP's expansion was quite successful. As we now know from the words of the CCP leadership, when China falls, America can rise. Vice versa, when China rises, America will be falling. Because it's inevitable, if the communism idea wins, that's the end of the world. And there's also one key aspect of Trump's approach to China, and that was the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Pompeo was a prominent member of his cabinet and one that consistently sided opposite to the values of the CCP. He was very vocal about the infiltration of the CCP domestically into the United States, but also its attempt to take over as the leader of the world. One key aspect of the later days of the Trump administration was defining the decades-old protocols to begin normalizing relationships with, with Taiwan in the eyes of China. And this move serves as the antithesis to the repressive communist regime to build a relationship different from the past administrations, especially during the eight years of Obama. Should the current Biden administration keep embracing a soft, competitive stance on China, they will only see the return of America to the average nation it once was, but also see a bigger China and a stronger China, one that must not happen with a communist government. And another key aspect of Trump's combat against the CCP was through its sanctions, applied by both the Commerce Department and the State Department, to sanction key Chinese individuals who are closely related or are CCP officials. And the strategy works really well against the CCP, because 
Many officials have overseas investments in large amounts of assets, and they take Chinese taxpayer money and spend it overseas, buying large properties, investments, stocks, especially in America. This move cripples not only the financial aspects of the officials, but also the spirits to fight against the United States. Trump also led the effort to list the CCP as an adversary, as the number one evil entity against the United States. He also applied appropriate immigration policies, including restricting CCP official visas term to just one month, and delisting Chinese companies with CCP officials or military ties. The American First principle also makes for great guidance in the first fight against the CCP, as the two systems have distinctively different operation models in economics, politics, social well-beings. The United States under Reagan, under JFK, under Lincoln, under George Washington, have all fought against an entity that stands as the opposite to freedom. For President Trump, perhaps his biggest enemy was the CCP. Despite so many oppositions from the Democratic Party and constant media backlash against his policies towards China, over time we have seen and proven that Trump's policies against China do work, especially by contrast to what we're seeing now during the Biden's administration, especially when it comes to the foreign diplomat, the way Mike Pompeo was treated versus Tony Blinken. The mannerism in which the CCP counterparts treats them is quite different. So when America first is the guiding principle, it gains international respect, and Xi Jinping has to show respect towards the Trump administration. Whereas against the Biden administration, from past experiences, Xi Jinping knows exactly how to operate against the Democratic representatives. Another attempt to combat communism worldwide was the exit from the WHO and also the United Nations Human Rights Council that both the Trump administration sent a clear message that the United States will not contribute or participate in international organizations that have sacrificed their stated goal to cater to teams such as the CCP and its allies. Now, these organizations serve as the front for the CCP to exert global domination by inviting countries with poor human rights records to sit on the council and members to vote against the United States' proposed policies, who are attempting to support global human rights. Whereas the United States is already powerful enough to apply sanctions and other means to countries like Cuba, Venezuela, and China directly, and put on more pressure than international organizations can. As Trump said to a certain Democratic Socialist candidate in his State of the Union address, quote, America will never be a socialist country. It's a direct enough message to suggest that President Trump was leading a battle against communism and socialism head-on, attempting to infiltrate America was stopped during his first term. Though he was unable to successfully rid of the growing concern over socialism in America, he did kickstart a discussion and awakening for the American people, something that many Chinese people have been warning against, the Americans, who are not just seeing, not seeing the effects of communism infiltration. He says, quote, The message was clear. Oppressive ideologies without fail leaves in its wake misery, destruction, and death. He also says, while Marxism promises equality, peace, and happiness, in practice, it results only in equality, violence, and despair. In fact, communism has gained bipartisan support during his tenure, even among those who oppose Trump's other policies by recognizing the CCP as the number one enemy to the entire human race. It has allowed many of President Trump's policies to take better effects, such as bringing jobs back from China.
ensuring working with allies to put pressure on the South China region, as well including working with Korea, Japan, and India. These policies are being continued today under the Biden administration as well. Donald Trump wasn't the perfect president, but he was in fact the president we needed at the moment of chaos. And I think all being said and done, there's one thing we realized about him. He was the man who woke up this country for the better. And that is it for tonight. Thanks so much for watching tonight's episode. Thanks again for your continued support of Beyond the Noise. Have a wonderful evening. See you tomorrow. Take care.